Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday. It is August the 15th. That intro is kind of a hype job, isn't it? I don't know. Something about the 80s music feels like you're kind of in like an arcade. Maybe it's like a kind of a karate kid vibe. You ever watch those uh, those videos where you see that uh, they, they kind of flip all the 80s movies on their head and they make the karate kid the bad guy? I kind of buy it, kind of buy it because he comes into this place and takes over the guy's girlfriend. I don't know. So we have a new intro. We have a new presidential indictment. We have a, uh, a fourth indictment now against President Trump. And I've got some takes on that. And I don't know that they're going to be the things you're going to hear anyone else. I was reading uh, Jeff Childers this morning. He's coffee and COVID. Uh, he alerted me to some New York Times pieces that I hadn't seen. I have some New York Times pieces we're going to go over today. So we're going to talk Trump indictment. We'd be crazy if we didn't. But I think the underlying reason why may be a little bit more important. And uh, I promised you guys some videos yesterday, some ridiculous things. There is something about me explaining it that just doesn't quite do justice to actually showing you the video. So I think... Think I've got this thing squared away. Those of you who listened to our audio show didn't hear any interruptions at all. Those of you who are watching the video didn't see the videos. They just saw some blank air with me drinking a cup of coffee, which I'm going to do right now. And I'm going to say thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote. Here's my Catholic Vote coffee mug. It is kicking right here. It actually has coffee in it. Uh, this is the, the loop. You guys know there. You can go to catholicvote.org, pull up catholicvote.org. And what are you going to see? You're going to see an opportunity to put in your email address, to put in your your name and your zip code, and you can get the email that I get every morning. And that's my coffee right there. So uh, let's see what's in the loop today, shall we? Here it is. Tuesday the 15th, Ohio Bishop tells Catholics to reject the abortion amendment. We're going to talk a little bit about abortion today. This actually triggered a, a thought in my head. And, uh, and I watched a movie last night called Nefarious. Many of you probably have already seen this movie, but uh, my father recommended it. I haven't had a chance to watch it. I just watched it last night with my wife. RFK clarifying, no, he's not pro-life. Big shocker. RFK says yeah, he would support an abortion ban, but then they walked it back. Uh, Wisconsin girls are quitting sports over the male presence in high school athletics. I think that's going to be an interesting article for you. Democrats, of course, pushing the climate change policy after the Hawaiian fires. Of course they are. And I'm going to contrast that today with some of the uh, the ways that they handled some of the other disasters that have happened, natural disasters or otherwise, under the Biden administration and climate experts weighing in on the wildfire narrative, blah, blah, blah. College board nixing gender studies. There are uh, there are some people that are actually starting to push back and they happen to be in the great state of Florida. So for those of you who live in Florida and you want liberal arts colleges that do not have gender studies, you can find out about that in the loop today. Check them out. By all means, go see our friends at catholicvote.org type that sucker in and if you want to buy a patriot cooler which you probably will see some uh some upcoming promos ryan was running around on the border he's not here today he came in last night at midnight got home into michigan in the middle of the night and uh, he was running around with his patriot cooler maybe on the wrong side of the border with that american flag maybe maybe like an old school claim of authority on the Mexican side, I'm sure he wouldn't have done that. That was not something that he documented with a photograph or anything to that effect. So Ryan Matta, definitely not on the wrong side of the U.S. border with an American flag Patriot Cooler. If you want your own Patriot Cooler, you can go to PatriotCoolers.com or you can click on the show links below and uh, you just use promo code Kyle. K-Y-L-E gets you 10% off. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a really ridiculous day already. It just started. And sometimes you have one of those moments where... 
you you look into the the darkness of the world and you have this feeling like okay what are the commonalities i always wake up in the morning and i say what is the narrative what is the thread that needs to be weaved and the thread today is failure biden administration failure and so the the art of the the episode is entitled an appeal to authority that is an actual logical technique it's known as a logical fallacy and I think you're going to see why it is the case that what we are seeing right now is a failed appeal to authority. That includes the authority of the president, which we are dealing with a, a failed Joe Biden presidency in so many ways and so failed that he needs to be uh, covered and he is like paper mache over by this mainstream media that still cannot patch it up. And then the second thing they need to do is they need to go and discredit the others that would stand against him. I do think that is why. President Trump is having such an interesting summer. We'll say interesting because that's the nicest way I can phrase it. Um, we're going to pull up this this uh, first article here and dive straight into it. I woke up this morning and I was thinking about Hawaii. I was thinking about people in Hawaii. I have an older brother that lives on the island of Kauai. And what I, what I very vividly remember is a phone call from him under Donald Trump's administration when, you, you, you may recall this, I actually saw this in some of my background research today. There was a... Uh, a set of air raid sirens that went off island-wide, all the islands, I think, in, in Hawaii. And they basically indicated that there was a pending missile strike. And everybody got these text messages to their phones. And one of the saddest things for me in my family that I can recall, honestly, I, I don't know a, thing, a single thing that has been more damaging to a familiar relationship. My brother, Thor, sent out a, a message to our entire family. And he said, um, I love you all. It sounds like we may have missiles inbound to Hawaii. And I was working in the Washington field office and I went like, there's no way. I was sitting right in the middle of the hub of all the things. I was working in the counterintelligence skiff where if something was national that was going on, we would have heard about this thing. And it didn't happen. I didn't get that information. It turns out some guy hit the wrong button in Hawaii and, and triggered that missile raid, that missile raid siren rather. And then the follow-up text message to that, because I wrote to my brother and I said, hey man, are you, are you guys okay? Like, what, what do you got going on? Because I'm not hearing anything and I, and I work for the federal government in the national security space. You would think that I would hear this thing. And uh, and he said something to the effect of, this is all your fault for voting for Donald Trump and uh, I hope you're happy. And, his, and in theory, that could have been the last thing that he ever wrote to us. It wasn't, there was no missile. There was nothing wrong. This was all at the time when Kim Jong-un was doing missile tests and things like that. And the scariness of a uh, inbound North Korean missile w was real, I guess. He immediately went to like, it's Donald Trump's fault. And strangely right now, we have nobody, absolutely nobody that is blaming the current president who is a, a total disaster piece. He's failing on every front. We don't have anybody calling Joe Biden the absolute abject failure that he is. In fact, we have nothing but cover pieces. There are no hit pieces on it. There's no wall-to-wall -wall media coverage. In fact, they're doing wall-to-wall -wall coverage on Trump, right? And so I think this is, uh, I think it's indicative of a failure. I've got a couple of fun things that I'm going to play for you. I, hopefully these videos work. I actually uploaded them all. I went and I clipped them off YouTube just for you guys. And I went and I went into my, my video editor and I got just the size that I wanted because we don't have Ryan doing the brilliance in the background. I don't know if this is going to all work out, but it should. Let, let's start with this first article here. And this is what immediately came to my mind. Obviously, the failed withdrawal of Afghanistan is very prevalent. And that was the first sort of failure. In, in many ways, I think that's where they introduced that, uh, that vaccine mandate. They needed something to say that they had control and reassert over the federal government. But Here's a different one. This is from the Columbus Dispatch. It literally was written this morning. It was released at 6 or 4 Eastern time. So just as I was getting up and out of bed or just a little bit before I got out of bed, they released this. And this is by J.D. Vance. 
who was uh, backed by President Trump, as many of you will know. This is uh, Joe Biden has ignored Ohio's pleas for help. The response to East Palestine is inexcusable. I actually had this conversation with my wife yesterday. We're looking at what's going on in Hawaii. We see this stuff about how the, the Biden administration is going to respond to whatever fire situation happened in Hawaii. Another failure, by the way, of the federal government where the, where the sirens didn't go off and give people warning. Nobody's calling out federal government failure and that federal government funding doesn't do the job it's supposed to do. What we did call out, though, is that we're going to send a couple million dollars there, like two million. But they're going to send 200 million to Ukraine because whatever's going on there. It says the Biden administration may have forgotten about East Palestine and this tragedy, but its citizens will never forget his administration's failed leadership. And I think that's true. So if you scroll down through this article, um, we see J.D. Vance, who's the uh, Senate representative for Ohio, one of two. He's raised in Ohio. He wrote the book uh, Hillbilly Elegy, which some of you may have read. I hear is a great book. And of course, I have no time to read books anymore because <laughs> I have little kids and I do this show with you guys. I should be reading as much, much more than I would. There was a mushroom cloud over East Palestine. There was an explosive train that derailed in a small town and captured the nation's attention, et cetera, et cetera. Many of us know the people were asking all the things. Here's the good questions. How do I find a new home? Is my small business going to survive? Will I suffer long-term health effects? These are all legitimately important questions. There's J.D. Vance right there. Here's a good quote. Not only has Joe Biden refused to visit, but he's refused to grant critical assistance to the recovery effort. So why, why is this important? It's a red area. It's a group of working class people. And it's a working class people that don't necessarily vote Biden. But, you know, there's probably some union workers there. There's some people that support Joe Biden. This country is pretty 50-50. So how do they get the short end of the stick? Is it because it's not sexy to talk about it? Is it because it's a man-made failure that is uh, related to the Department of Transportation, whether it be under any president or otherwise, that they're going to catch flack for it? That's why we had Pete Buttigieg show up. But President Biden hasn't even gone to East Palestine, as far as I can tell. We did see Trump go there. So there's something. Sounds like maybe Trump is going to have to uh, get indicted, go and present himself uh, in, in Georgia, and then maybe he can go to Hawaii as well. Although I'm sure the, the Biden family would have no problem going to Hawaii. That sounds like a nice trip. The, the issue is this, contrast it to what went on in this Hawaiian crisis that just happened. Big wildfires, here's the response by the president via tweet. I don't even know if he's running his tweets. I don't even know if he's capable of Twitter, but here it is. The residents of Hawaii mourn the loss of life and devastation taking place across their beautiful home and we mourn with them. I don't remember seeing anything about this in Ohio, by the way. I don't remember seeing a, a, an ode to the beautiful state of Ohio. Like I've said, not only our prayers, but every asset we have will be available to them. FEMA's temporary sheltering is now available for uh, for residents. Were there FEMA shelters that were set up in Ohio? Not that I heard of. I feel like I would have. I was paying attention. They're going to allow uh, survivors to shelter in hotels or motels temporarily as they develop long-term housing plans. Why do they need to develop housing plans? And just all of this stuff. Why is that a federal thing? Oh, because it's a disaster area. Because something happened in a place that's beautiful and full of Democrat voters, a very blue city. He says we're laser focused on um, getting aid to survivors, critical needs assistance, a one-time payment of $700. Well, thank God for that $700. Guys, think how long $700 would last you. Just think about that for a second. Per household, by the way. This is not per uh, adult. $700 might last you two weeks worth of eating out if you had no kitchen. I don't even know. I don't know, if, especially in Hawaii. One of the most expensive places in America. It has a cost of living index that is 85% higher than the than the, the median. It's it's almost twice as expensive to live in Hawaii as anywhere else. And a lot of that is because they have uh, 
the inability to get goods directly from the places they come from. They actually have to touch a U.S. port on the mainland. This is a, a Democrat position. This is a, a union position. They actually have to go get offloaded into a U.S. flag ship on the U.S. mainland usually in Los Angeles or San Francisco, and then sent right back out again. So the cost of goods is way higher than necessary. It's pretty interesting. Puerto Rico has the same problem, by the way. Uh, but they still vote blue. They still vote for these union types. Anyhow, $700 they're going to give. Great. They've got staff on the ground that's dedicated to helping survivors. Oh, what staff do they have in Ohio? Did anyone see this? They're making sure that all the residents receive critical information so they can make steps forward. They're going to go out there and they're going to put... Uh, this is other, this is, man, you want to talk about something that is uh, patronizing. They're going to, uh, they're going to put translating materials for the most common languages spoken on the island, working closely with the trusted community leaders. That just feels so gross on every level to me. Urging residents to apply for FINA, and that's about the end of it here. And, uh, you know, if you need a help, you can go to the Family Assistance Center, call the Red Cross, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the Biden administration is laser focused, absolutely focused on helping out the Hawaiians. And they couldn't be bothered by the ongoing ecological disaster that happened in East Palestine. I need you guys to remember it. I need you to remember that these things, we have to have a good memory of history. And the reason for that, in my estimation, is um, it's elitism. It's totally elitism on every level. It's people that are disconnected from reality. We're going to talk about Joe Biden being disconnected from reality. But I had this thing queued up the other day, and I wanted to share it with you last time. Let me, let me pull this uh, quick video up. So this is a video of the esteemed Ocasio-Cortez. And she is the congresswoman from the Bronx. And this is what she was doing while she was in Congress. I wanted to show this to you yesterday. I was talking about the smart, stupid people. The smart, stupid people are not intelligent, but they are manipulative and they are capable. And so this is the thing that she got people to focus on as a congresswoman and also work in a little woe as me in there. Hopefully this this uh, video will work for you. I want you to understand the things that they want you to pay attention to and not disasters going on in otherwise red areas. So let's pull this video up real quick. You're going to see why this all makes sense in a second. Hello, Vogue. Buenos dias. This is Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I am here to walk you through my skincare and red lip routine. Uh, I've got SPF. If you are at all a melanated woman, um, it's really hard to find sunscreen because a lot of sunscreens have a white cast. And I think that a lot of women know this. See, look at how you have to be really generous with sunscreen. Don't play games. Don't play games with sunscreen. Um, you'd always rather put too much than too little. So don't forget your ears, don't forget your eyelids. I travel between DC and New York pretty much every single week. Um, this is kind of one of the most taxing sides of being a, a member of Congress is that Congress, when it's in session, we're in DC about four days a week. And then we have to fly back home to work in our communities three days a week. And that's seven days a week. That's a lot of traveling. It is also a huge toll on your skin. <laughs> that's a lot of traveling, people. 
Are you feeling for this poor young lady with no children and a Tesla and an apartment in two different places that she has to travel to for her job that pays $185,000 a year and she has no skills or capabilities to do it other than she shows up and does Vogue videos about her sunscreen? By the way, melanated is not a word. It's melaninated. You could have melaninated, apparently. I'm looking at this. Uh, I went and looked at it. Melaninated. Melaninated. I don't know. Uh, highly pigmented. She seems like she's an awfully, uh, she has the same skin tone as me. Hers is a little bit more olive. Mine's a little bit darker. I live in Texas. It's hot out here. You know what's really hard? Going for a run in the heat when it's 105 degrees. You know what's not hard? Putting on sunscreen when you're a congresswoman and there's no children that are waiting to be fed and no diapers to be changed and no anything else going on that matters. Your life is simple. But as many of you just said, this woman doesn't even speak Spanish. And she's out there. She's she's going to roll R's and act ridiculous. I gave my buddy Alpha Luna a hard time on our, our show the other day because he was trying to, to roll it. At least I can roast him and he knows it. Uh, and he actually probably does speak more Spanish than she does because uh, he had to be at, be a cop and go and talk to people that didn't speak English. Does anyone understand what in the world this is? This is a a smart way for stupid people to take advantage of you. And there's, a, there's another piece to it. And it's called elitism. Elitism is when you think you're better than everyone else and therefore you're going to share your story in a way that is more meaningful. She's very elitist. And so is our dear president, Joe Biden. There he is right there. Many of you will remember, in fact, this was starting to get out during the presidential campaign season. He got called out because somebody asked him a question about his son, who is a crackhead and an addict and a troublemaker, and a ne'er-do-well, and a person who spent $100,000 on prostitutes in a short period of time, and lost laptops and probably compromised our, our, our national security because he was compromised by Russians and others. And the guy got up, and, and you know, Joe's whole shtick is that he's working class. He's, he's um, Lunchbox Joe, but he's just an elitist. The guy hasn't had a real job. Just like Ocasio-Cortez, he got sworn in to a position about the same age as her and has about the same amount of work experience. None, almost none. Think about, I, I like to think about the fact that I enlisted when I was 27 years old. And at that point in time, what some of the things that I had done was I had been in charge of a restaurant and I was okay at it. Not good, not long enough for me to be good, but enough to know how much hard work is involved in managing and running a restaurant. I sold computers. I was actually pretty good at that. I sold about $20 million worth of Dell computers. Um, I was involved in selling airtime. I wasn't very good at that. It's actually a really hard job to do, selling spots and things like that, because you're trying to sell the, the value of, uh, of marketing in a certain area, especially in a media-saturated area like I did. So I was good at some things. I wasn't good at some things. I was 27 years old. I'd worked in financial analysis. I was actually pretty good at that, too. I worked for a movie studio. I had a couple of real-life jobs, then I went and enlisted in the military because I felt like I was a bonehead and I wasn't going anywhere in my life. These guys... Uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the Joe Bidens of the world, they said, you know what? I'm not doing anything of value in my life. Maybe I should run everything for everyone. It takes a special kind of smart, stupid person to do that. It really does. And the arrogance and the elitism that is involved in there. I mean, she went to Boston University, didn't she? I have a friend who went to Boston University. He's a doctor. He helps people. He's a good person. He's actually incredibly smart. And it's embarrassing that you have people like Ocasio-Cortez out there with the same sort of... Uh, with the same sort of educational background. I bet you she got better grades than he did. And I guarantee you, he's light years beyond her. So Joe Biden, if you remember, this was going back to 2019. That article I just showed you is a 2019 article about how he called a guy fat. He said, hey, fat, 
you know, and this is the dog face pony soldier thing. This is a man who doesn't need to be called out. He doesn't want to be called out. He thinks he's better than you. Of course he does. Here's the funny thing. Ocasio-Cortez number two, I have to show it to you because I saw this online and there's just something beyond the capabilities. We're dealing with um, a major catastrophe in one of the states, whether you like it or not. Uh, Hawaii being a blue state is irrelevant. They, there's human suffering there, and that's a big deal. You have um, our president, former president, indicted for the fourth time. And this is the kind of crap that is going on in the Ocasio-Cortez world. Like I said, elitism has priorities that are not yours. You just heard she likes a skin screen, a sunscreen, and she thinks it might be a little bit racist because it's, it's kind of white. She doesn't understand that zinc is a whitening agent, and that's what is used to reflect the sun's rays. That's where you get the SPF. So she's going to focus on this. This came up a couple days ago. I was going to show it to you yesterday, but it's worth it. It went over the weekend, so let's just play this one. I think you guys will appreciate how important this serious person is. What are we here to talk about today? We are here to talk about sunscreen, specifically U.S. sunscreen and how to fix it. Hello, everyone. This is Rep AOC, and I'm here with Charlotte Palermino. I'm a brand owner, but also a licensed esthetician. U.S. sunscreen regulations are not necessarily making us more safe or better products. U.S. sunscreens are far behind the rest of the world. I was in South Korea earlier this year, and it is so clear how far advanced the rest of the world is on sunscreen, and we deserve better here in the U.S. How does the FDA regulate? FDA is different than the rest of the world in that we regulate sunscreen as a drug instead of a cosmetic. It's regulated as a drug, has far more stringent standards, far more testing, far more scientific and clinical trials that are required, which is good. We want to make sure that yep. things are safe. However, sometimes that can add a lot of bureaucratic and costs that prevent us from getting any sunscreen mm -hmm. filters at all. And just for context, it has been since 1999. It was the last time that we had a new sunscreen filter in the United States. When we compare the U.S. standards to European standards in 2017, a Sloan Kettering study found that only half of U.S. sunscreens met European protection. I, I understand that we could go on with this. This actually goes on for a total of about two minutes. So I'm about 60% into it. But you guys in the chat are complaining. What have we done to deserve this? How have we offended thee? And the answer is, of course, you have to know what the other side is out there talking about. There is probably a really good reason why 50% of this country does not worry, is not concerned, and doesn't seem upset in any way, shape, or form that we are having literally a surreal history-changing moment with the fourth indictment of a former president of the United States. This is the second state indictment in two second states. Like, Georgia's pretty red, and they managed to do it in a blue county. That's how absurd we're living right now, plus two federal indictments in two different states, one red, one blue, uh, if we we're going to call D.C. a state, right? So you have this unprecedented time, and people like AOC are worried about sunscreen. And what about the elites? What about the real, the smart, smart people, the scary people that are out there? What are they doing? Okay. What are they all about? Um, they're doing two things. Number one, they're going to cover for the sitting president who's ignoring the real catastrophes. And here he is. Look at this. This is from New York Magazine. Eric Levitt's writing. Biden's unpopularity is more mysterious than it looks. This is from July of this year. Okay. America's unemployment rate is hovering at historic lows. The percentage of prime age Americans in the workforce is higher than it's ever been since the 20, 2008 financial crisis. That's not a very long look back, is it? 2008. 
Thanks to the abundance of employment opportunities, low-income workers have recovered roughly 25% of the of the increase in wage inequality. Oh my God, wage inequality? There it is. Gasoline costs are 30% lower than it was a year ago when he spiked it by doubling the price since Trump. It's all made up. It's all fantasy world. They're out here doing this craziness and they're out there running the spin job. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's plans for increasing manufacturing is working and everything is going swimmingly. There's all this investment in America. Manufacturing plant construction has doubled since 2021. These people are breathless with how great Joe Biden is. And yet, here it is right down at the middle of the page. Joe Biden is one of the most unpopular presidents in modern American history, with 54.4% of voters disapproving of his job performance in a 538 poll. That's a lefty leaning. That's Nate Silver's outfit. The public's view of his economic management are especially dour. And a new AP poll finds only one third of voters approve of Biden's handling of the economy. How could it be? They're telling you right now how great it is. They just told you how wonderful Joe Biden is. Okay? How is it that you are not just wildly impressed? In fact, since he took office in 2021 in January, the economy has been steadily replacing jobs that it lost during the pandemic. Oh, you mean the pandemic that was put on by leftist crazies that are working inside the government that shut down the United States economy in an absolutely unprecedented move that went and sacrificed both lives to suicide, people who were never going to recover because their educational background was so interrupted. They were willing to do that just to get after Trump. I think many of us realize that. They had to disrupt the Trump presidency. The impeachments didn't work. It says this recovery has necessarily brought more lower wage workers back into the workforce. It's hard to say exactly what percentage of the apparent decline in real wages this composition affects. <laughs> like what in the world? But if we use the month before the pandemic started as a baseline, so that's February of 2020, the unemployment rate is similar to today, which means they've basically just now got us back to even. They just got us back on level. And why is Joe Biden not uh, getting all the credit for it? I mean, why is it not credit to this man who's been rebuilding this country single-handedly Hardcore Joe, Lunchbox Joe, who rides the Amtrak millions of miles, even though he didn't. That guy is not getting the love. And so we go to another piece. This one was written in, um, this was written in the Washington Post. Look, I'm telling you, the cover jobs on this are amazing, but they do recognize there's a problem. They really do. Look at this one. This one came from June. Unpopular. <laughs> Biden isn't, he shouldn't be as unpopular as Trump, but he is. Why shouldn't he be as unpopular as Trump? 50% of this country despises him, and most people think that the election was stolen. Over 60% of people think that January 6th was a put-up job. We're getting there. So Biden is unpopular as Trump, but he shouldn't be, according to the Washington Post. They're trying to tell you what to think, as usual, right? The numbers behind Biden's unpopularity are easy to understand, are they? Well, then why is there even a question about this article? Like Trump, he had almost universal support within his own party, virtually none from the opposite party. Terrible numbers among independents. Oh, wait a minute. So a party that is 50-50 or not even 50% of the uh, of the U.S. population, how does he have terrible numbers among independents and yet get 81 million votes? Are you guys getting this? He has an 84% approval rate from Democrats. This is a couple months ago, similar to Trump's 87% with Republicans midway through his third year in office. Biden is at 33% among independents. That means only one third of independents approve of what's going on. That's the same as Trump. By contrast, apparently Bill Clinton had 56% through his third year. George W. Bush, 62%. Barack Obama, the lowest of all of them, by the way, not independent, not independent focus, not interested in people in the middle, 46%. 
Bush's numbers were high because of the September 11th attack. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, fine. A couple graphs here. End of the day, we're talking about a man that is vastly unpopular with anyone that is basically not 100% on his agenda. If you can see that meme, there's a meme. It's, uh, it's a Dr. Evil meme. It comes from Austin Powers. And uh, he says something like, they're not believing the whatever it is, right? And then it's like, trot out the aliens. So it's like the uh, the woman, she screams, the uh, Fraulein, whatever her name was. Uh, she screams something and everyone kind of goes like, ah. we're in that phase. We're in the phase of it's not working. So trot out the presidential indictment, right? That's what we're talking about here. And so let's trot out that the lady that is going to give us the shrill voice of reality, the thing that we all want to hear, Tuck in two of my favorite people in the world, Rachel Maddow and Hillary Clinton. We're going to roll this real quick. All over the country right now, people are wondering what Hillary Rodham Clinton is thinking, <laughs> watching things unfold in Georgia. She is the former Democratic presidential nominee, U.S. Senator from New York and Secretary of State. I should tell you, she has a new essay out in The Atlantic on the well-being of Americans and our democracy. It's called The Weaponization of Loneliness. Madam Secretary, fancy meeting you oh, here. Oh, I really can't nice believe this. <laughs> yeah, this is not the circumstances in which I expected to be talking to you. Nor me, Rachel. It's always good to talk to you, but honestly, um, I didn't think that it would be under these circumstances. Yet another set of indictments. This is something, um, this is becoming like a skill set. Like in yeah. the news business, you say like, oh, I've covered Olympics or yeah. I've covered a campaign. Now it's, you know, those of us who've covered four indictments. Um, I don't know if four is it. We don't know if Donald Trump is among those indicted this mm -hmm. evening, but all expectations are that he will be. Do you feel satisfaction in that? You warned the country, essentially, that he was going to try to end democracy, but the most of the country didn't believe you. Well, it's hard to believe. I, I don't feel any satisfaction. I feel great, uh, you know, just, just great profound sadness that uh, we have a former president who has been indicted uh, for so many uh, charges that went right to the heart of whether or not our democracy would survive. And we don't know yet what the charges coming out of Georgia are, but if you stop and think about what the public evidence is, and you've been talking about some of that for the last hour, uh, he set out to defraud the United States of America and uh, the citizens uh, of our nation. He set out to fraud the citizens of our nation and he tried to undermine democracy. That is a sober voice telling you exactly what you need to know. She's got you covered. I mean, Hillary, she's really squared away, isn't she? Uh, in the chat, you guys are going off. You're saying, what have we done to deserve this? The question is, is why do we not watch these news, quote unquote, news sources, this infotainment, this uh, propaganda messaging? And the reason why you watch shows like this, why you listen to people like Dan Bongino, why you're out there enjoying podcasts is that we watch them for you. We go and find out what's going on. We have to know what people are saying that are not attached to reality. And they are not. These people are not attached to reality. They're not living the same day-to-day -day existence that many of you are out there in the chat. It's really bad news when uh, when I can put on a clip that makes you desire AOC to come back on, right? I mean, that's what I just saw. A, a live reaction was, give us back the horse face, lady. Don't give us any more Hillary Clinton. But it's so critical. These people are perpetrating a fraud on you. I'm going to show you yet another article. This is one about uh, this one came out in May. So there was an entire summer worth of this stuff. Okay. Biden has unpopular, has a remarkable first term. Apparently he's been remarkable. 
many of you guys must realize how remarkable it is. Okay? It's a remarkable first term, but he's unpopular even with Democrats. Why is that? And here you have podcast host, former congressional staffer Matt Robinson writing about how the achievement list is long. Let me just tell you some of these achievements, y'all. Let me just tell you some of them. The greatest single year of job creation in American history. That sounds like a remarkable presidency, does it not? The lowest employment numbers in 50 years, the biggest yearly increase in U.S. manufacturing jobs in 30 years, the most successful American vaccination program in history. Man, they really buried that one in there, didn't they? The most successful American vaccination program. You mean under threat of losing your job and getting up all the people that disagree with you? There's a lot of FBI agents that are going to be very concerned about that sort of thing. There's a lot of federal agents in general that didn't much care for this uh, so successful vaccination program. Lowering the prescription drug costs for the elderly by up to 75%. I'm not sure where the federal government comes in on that or why they should. Um, apparently, the president single-handedly cut child poverty by 3 million children. Um, was it because they killed off a lot of children? Was it because of that? Because I think abortion may have something to play with that. This guy loves that thing and massively investing in fixing roads. And while we're doing that, and I, I mentioned that we were going to get into some of this stuff, there is there is a sell job that is happening. They are talking about trying to get rid of people, human beings, and they're trying to make it so that you're not paying attention. In the meantime, like while we have this historic uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, they've tried to turn it into something where they can go and they can take your children and offer abortions. The military is now allowing you to travel. They're trying to fund that. You saw some of the uh, the outrageous clips that we saw of John Kirby. And so the question is why? Uh, many of you have seen the movie, or if you haven't, I recommend it. And I didn't pull a clip from it. It's a Kevin Spacey flick that's called The Usual Suspects. And after watching Nefarious last night, there's a couple of movies that were playing along in my head because they've always been here. The evil has always been in this world. The question is, is did we recognize it? Okay. Uh, there was a movie that was called Fallen that was that was uh, starring Denzel Washington, it was about a, a demon that, or a, a devil-type character, a nefarious spirit that was jumping from person to person. Evil that was going by touch, right? And that was pretty scary stuff. Uh, and then you have things like Nefarious where you have a, a, a man possessed and he's he's spilling the goods. He's telling the story. Fantastic movie. Highly recommend it. My dad was correct about that. Uh, and then there was Kevin Spacey's movie, The Usual Suspects. And he says something that is so profound, even for a leftist like Kevin Spacey said something so profound that we used to actually know it was true in this country. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I got into that in an interview with Mark Hout, which you can go back in our channel. You can scroll back uh, to last year, I think it's end of last year, maybe beginning of this year. Uh, we talked to Mark Hout and he said something about when the devil is happiest, when the devil is most successful, you never hear him. He doesn't make a noise. He's hunting like a silent lion. And uh, there's an African proverb that he quotes, which I will botch, so I won't try it. But essentially, it's something to the effect of the louder, the louder that the lion is, the less likely it is to be a successful hunter. The quiet lion is the one that takes the prey. The loud lion is injured and angry and therefore is roaring only to let you know that he is not satisfied with his lot. And that is the least successful of the hunters. And what we're seeing right now, and this is the only upside, I don't want to black pill anybody here. I don't want to give you any sense that there is nothing good going on. I want to let you know that the reason this is so loud and the reason the cover jobs are so aggressive, the reason why is because scales are falling from people's eyes. You are awake and many other people on the independents. I just read the stats about independents. That's the people that are waking up. People in the middle that otherwise just want to be left alone. They are awake to this. They are alert to it. And they are learning. They are learning in many ways that, uh, that there's something very wrong 
going on. I've got two back-to-back clips here. I'm going to play one for you. We're going to talk about it for a second. But it is an awareness campaign. Um, I want to shamelessly plug this movie, um, Nefarious, after watching it. I pulled this clip down because they had talked about abortion. As we know, this is going to be one of the central issues, supposedly the reason why the Republicans lost why they lost in the midterms, why they were only able to squeak out a narrow majority in one house in the uh, in the House of Representatives and they weren't able to get the upper chamber. Apparently it was because of abortion, because people were so into it. So this is the message that I would like to share out here about that particular topic, for whatever reason, a hot button topic. And I want you to think about this. The argument is far far more insidious. There's a reason why this is called nefarious, but it could have been called insidious. The reason why the argument is insidious is because they've normalized things in ways, and you're going to hear the argument played out, and you're going to realize exactly that anybody who's in front of it knows it's wrong. Before we get into it, um, well, let me roll the clip, and then I'll tell you about some experience I had in front of the Supreme Court while I was in Washington, D.C. So let's watch this little clip here. But any decision that was made between me and my girlfriend was her choice. I think we both know better, James. Stop it. Don't you think you should be there when it's being done? I said stop Hold her hand, maybe. I'll tell you what you could do, James. You could walk right there to the guard station, pick up that cell phone, make a phone call that stops everything in its tracks. You could apologize to her, tell her you made a horrible mistake, that you love her, you want to spend the rest of your life with her, you want to marry her, and you want to hold that child. James, you could tell her that. You could make your life about sacrificial love, and you could play live-in therapist for the rest of your life. I can't do that. No, James, why not? complicated that's my boy james that's him right there i don't understand oh i think i do james i think i understand it's another problem easily solved though isn't it that's not it i can't care about it but i'm what i'm not ready to be a father It's, it's, it's her body. She can, she can do what she wants. Do what thou wilt. That shall be the whole of the law. Arrogance. Who, who are you to judge me? This is my life. I, I can live it the way I want. Yes, James! I couldn't have said it better myself. But it's still murder. Says who? Says all of creation. James, the creator creates and we destroy and we do all of it through you. We always have. Just let that sink in for a second. Says all of creation, right? My buddy Alpha was on Twitter the other day and he said, I support the use of pronouns like they, them. Like when we're talking about a mother and a child, I hope they are having a good day. I wonder what is possible we can do to help them be more safe and fulfilled. I get behind that. There is an idea that they've had the wool pulled over their eyes and people are aware of it. They are aware of it. That is why you don't have good numbers for people like Joe Biden. I stood in front of the Supreme Court with my friend, um, Steve Stambalia. If you guys saw uh, our article, we did a, a full episode. It was called The Machine Gun Lawyer. I think it was actually our most watched at the time. You can go back and watch that. Steven is a really cool guy. And he's really confrontational, which I really love because he's an attorney. And so he kind of he's he's engaged in the actual litigation. He's not an attorney that sits there and types up brief. He goes out and argues things in court and he defends the Second Amendment. But he's also staunchly pro-life, um, as you might expect from a real conservative person. And he believes in fatherhood and he has a daughter. And we stood in front of the Supreme Court before the Dobbs decision dropped. And we watched these unhinged, shrieking women. And they appeared partially to be making the arguments that this guy is. 
inconvenient baby. It's my life. And then I heard one of them say something that will, if you watch Nefarious, you know that he invites, he invites the demon in um, very early on. So I'm not giving anything away. He invites the demon into his body. And it's actually one of the scariest things to watch because they are playing with powers they don't understand, but they sort of actually know it. And I'm going to give you the example. This woman said, hail Satan at the top of her lungs and everybody drops silent. There were 150 people standing on the street in public in broad daylight in the least scary scenario you can. And it all dropped because that is a really, really scary thing to go do. And everybody around them kind of went like, I don't think I'm with her. I don't think I'm part of whatever that thing was. That was the bridge too far. And they knew it. They straight up knew it. It was set in front of them and it was scary because it was too far. It was too close to the reality of what they were talking about. Baby sacrifices, infant sacrifices. He says, you can say anything you like. It can be your own decision, but it's still murder, right? And uh, and the whole point of this, this movie is basically that it's always been there. It's the easy out and the easy out, the, um, what do they call it? The, the easy choice, right? In many ways, it is in fact, actual evil. It's, it's insidious. It creeps up on you like the frog in the pot of water with the boiling water that you slowly turn the temperature up. A lot of this stuff is out there, but people are turning on to it for a lot of different reasons. And there is a party right now that apparently hates children. They want you to be able to cut their, their body parts off. There is a, they want them to be killed in the womb and be ripped and dismembered. He makes a mention at one point, I didn't put the scene in, but the, uh, the priest now, the sacrificial priest now wear surgical gowns. And we don't hear the screams of the infants like they did when they sacrificed them of old because they're done in the womb and there is no screaming. Pretty poignant stuff. And people like Hillary Clinton were 100% behind it. They use all these euphemisms, right? It's reproductive health and it's, and it's uh, medical freedom. And yet they don't really want real freedom because they don't want you to have a choice on whether or not you put a, a vaccine into your body. What they want is inconvenient lives to be disposed of. And so East Palestine has a bunch of people that are inconvenient lives. They will be ignored. They will not be paid attention to. And the way that you do that is you have to go after the people that are the most prominent on the other side. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're attacking people like President Trump. And I don't think President Trump is anybody's savior, by the way. And I'll make this appeal right now. If anybody has any ability to get this messaging over to the man, I would really much, I would appreciate it in a big way because Donald Trump has the potential of doing something really special in the next two years. But what he has to do is he has to have humility. In fact, that's the biggest problem that he faces. If he has a tragic flaw, it's a failure. It's hubris. It's the inability to have humility. Donald Trump continues to tell people that he is not one of us and he is standing in front of us for all of us. That is not true. Donald Trump is experiencing what everyone else is experiencing. He's just experiencing at a higher level because he's louder and he's bigger. But think about all the people that are in jail for January 6th. And we're going to get to that in just a second as well. Think about all the people that are currently sitting and waiting trial. They are experiencing the same exact persecution. It's just more visible because Donald Trump is a much more visible personality. He has the ability to command the media and... They actually think if they can target him and they can run him off, then we would be dealing with um, a totally unified country under this totalitarianism. So this guy has the potential of waking up in the morning and saying, it's a slight pivot. I made the analogy in a Twitter space. I'm going to make the analogy to you. I'm going to appeal to you as someone who is listening. Imagine a Donald Trump that didn't get up and said, um, that comes up to you and he says, can, can we step outside of this restaurant, please? You guys are all eating in the same place. And he goes, think about your friend who does this because you all have a friend who's kind of a blowhard. And they come out and they go, dude, they're screwing me over. They added $28 to my bill. You know, it's a surcharge. It's crap. And like, they're trying to take advantage of me. That's not particularly appealing. You go, okay, dude, like, have a good day. I'm out. 
I'm going to go back to my family. But imagine he comes out here and says the same message in a different way that you can hear it. And he says, look, man, I just looked at my bill and they've added $28 to my bill and everybody else's bill in this restaurant. We're all getting screwed by this restaurant. Okay. He's they're, they're, they're adding a surcharge and they didn't even tell you before you sat down. You're already 28 bucks in the hole and you just sat down at the table. Now you're talking my language because that's actually affecting me. You've actually made yourself part of the group. When you bring people to a group that you are part of, you can get them to see your way. And it's the same exact message. They're screwing me. But if you say they're screwing us, it means more. And that's what we're seeing. They're screwing us. And I wish Donald Trump would be able to pivot with just that humility to say that he's not so exceptional, but in fact, he's just a, a larger version that they can see. He's a visible version of what we all are experiencing because we are all getting screwed right now in this country. We are all seeing weaponization of our federal government. We are all seeing something really, really dangerous. Um, and it, and it's, it's evident, right? It's evident in these things right here. It's evident in a New York Times analysis piece saying that this Trump indictment part four, do you understand how insane it is to have a fourth indictment for a former president who was running for president? It is something that we would laugh about in the 80s. One of the tweets I had, and many of you guys saw it, it went uh, to the point where people were sharing it. The, the country that I grew up in would invade the country that I live in. There is no question in my mind that the United States would not tolerate this sort of nonsense back in the day, in the 80s, even in the 70s. We had entire military operations. And were there some, uh, you know, corporate rattlings going on behind there? Was it banana republics that were trying to move things? Of course there were. But I'm just saying on the pure ideological idea that the American people would have gotten behind, we had things like Operation Just Cause and Urgent Fury, specifically because banana republics in our sphere of influence were corrupted. And we thought that was a danger. And we didn't like it. The spectacle has become surreally routine. It has become routine because they want it to become routine. The former president has thought to systematically drain the suspense from his criminal cases, but the trial of the century looms. This is Peter Baker, a White Horse correspondent, and he is in here. he's covered five presidents. And of course, he said, this is, there's a 98, they keep like overdoing it. They're, they're, they're going higher and higher with every single one of these, these pieces. There are 18 other people that are charged, a total of 19 people in this indictment. And they're lawyers and they're his friends and they're Rudy Giuliani and they're going after him for RICO charges. You're talking about Rudy Giuliani who helped break up the mob using RICO charges is now getting charged RICO for tweets and emails. It's conspiracies to defraud people. It's, it's freaking insane. We're living in a place that is so upside down, it doesn't make any sense at all. And yet, it is it is doing one thing. It is driving, it is driving people in the middle away from that narrative. Some of you guys have seen this movie. This was very formative of me growing up. And let's let's flip this thing on real quick because it's one of the great scenes. It is the the way that many people are feeling right now. I think. I think it's the way that people are feeling. So let's give this a shot. You tell me if this is not the way that Americans feel right now. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. 
It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. It's the world that's been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Many of you guys will remember that. Of course, the, the, the term the matrix has been far overused and it's being used by other people to say it. But there is a sense, and this goes back to my, you know, to my teenage years, that something isn't right and it's slowly becoming evident to more people. More and more people are waking up to what is going on. I'm going to show you a, just a kind of a, a montage right now of these articles. So there you go. Trump indictment part four. Here you go. There's NPR. Who is this DA charging Trump? She's no stranger to high stakes cases. These fawning and um, and fawning, uh, what do you call them? Sort of puff pieces about how great she is. What they do also, if you scroll far enough down, you find out that she's actually done things wrong. She went out there and used some, case, uh, used some uh, prosecution. She went out and held a fundraiser for someone that was running against one of the people that she was trying to indict and the judge smacked her down for that. So she's a political activist masquerading as a prosecutor, but that's what they do. Here's another one, New York Times. Why the Fannie Willis prosecution of Donald Trump is indispensable. Why is it indispensable? Because it's not in the federal system where a uh, elected president could could run away from it and could, could uh, pardon himself. So that's a problem. So if the Republicans win, it's gonna be a little bit more difficult. And they argue that there's much tighter stuff going on here. All of this is happening under a real specific auspices. In the logical fallacy world, one of the things you can do is called the appeal to authority. And that can be, a, uh, it can be an effective technique for argument. Appeal to authority is a logical technique where you say, this is the citation I'm going to have. It's scientific evidence. It's a rule of nature. It is so on. And I'm going to appeal to the authority that wrote it. And this is the thing they said about this thing. And then everybody goes, aha, yes, I understand. Okay. This is the appeal to authority. It's a fallacy. It's a formal fallacy because not everybody necessarily accepts that that authority is legit. All right. Authority AB claims proposition is true. The proposition is then looked at where this the person who is the authority is, in fact, an authority on there. Everyone has to accept it. Therefore, it is true. That would make it a, a true sort of argument. But the problem is if we don't all accept it. Imagine going and trying to make an argument about whether or not you should steal from your neighbor. Okay, there's an argument of operational morality versus traditional morality. And some and you say, well, you know, the Bible says this. And someone says, well, I don't I don't read the Bible and I don't accept the Bible as as a as a blueprint for human happiness. Now what? That's called an argument to authority, and it fails. If they don't accept the Bible, maybe they read the Koran. <laughs> maybe they just read something else. Maybe they just read comic books, and they don't care whether or not you've made an appeal to the Bible. It isn't very effective at arguing. And so this logical fallacy, they are now trying to argue that Donald Trump is a very, very bad man because he's been indicted four times. Four times we have done an indictment. The surreal reality of this is happening. That's an argument to authority. But as we covered in an older episode, and I'm going to bring it up again, and I think it's worth noting, they've already done something that many of us are aware of, and it's a highly dangerous situation. This reminded us of the, of the United States Holocaust Museum piece on the first letter to all judges, which happened during the Third Reich. The letter to all judges, an announcement by the Reich Minister of Justice. This was translated. There's a couple of different pieces in here. I'm going to read the official position 
of the Reich Minister of Justice. And this is what they said. As I said, one of the ways that you get total tyranny, how you get authoritarianism, they're working two fronts. Number one, they're making an appeal to authority, but at the same time, they're actually undermining the entirety of that authority so that the judicial system is not easily validated. They're playing a two-front game. Front one is we're going to try to get everybody on board that believes in what we're doing. And then front two is we're going to delegitimize the position of what we're doing so that those who have seen it, who have had the matrix fall away from their eyes, are going to be pissed off. And that's going to basically ensure that we lock down the positions of those, number one. Because you can say, look, look at all these lawless people. Look at all these rules. They are dividing this country up in a big way. I'm just going to read this thing because it's really interesting. This is what the Nazis were saying at the time uh, in 1942, at a time when the best of our people are risking their lives at the front and when the home front is tirelessly working for victory, there can be no place for criminals who destroy the will of the community. This sounds suspiciously like the way they talked about people who are unvaccinated, by the way. Just put that in your head. Those in the administration of justice must recognize that it is their job. It is their job to destroy traitors and saboteurs on the home front. It is the job of those who are in the administration of justice to destroy traitors and saboteurs on the home front. The law allows plenty of leeway in this regard. Are we reading about something that happened a long time ago or is this happening right now? The home front is responsible for maintaining peace, quiet, and order as support for the war front. This heavy, heavy responsibility falls especially on the German judges. Think about all the American judges that are making all these illogical things that were fighting Trump at every single turn. They were small district judges that were putting injunctions on entire federal policies. Every punishment is fundamentally more important than the war. Uh, sorry, is more important in war than in peace. And we are in a war right now, and they know it. This special fight is targeted, especially at those designated by law as pests, as vermin, as the people that are causing the real problems, as the dissidents, as the maggots. Oh, there's that word. There's that dehumanizing language. It's right there. It's the same thing. When you make a Nazi analogy, they give you all this hard time about it because they say you should never do such a thing. And yet, it is a one-to-one -one comparison. The Nazis called them pests and vermin and scum. Have you heard those things? We may have slightly different words because we're less sophisticated than we were with our language in the 30s. But maggots and and uh, and the uh, the Trumpians and the cult of Trump and so on, all these things are dehumanizing. They're all very, very ugly. Now, the only way this works is people get together and they let this stuff fall away from their eyes and you turn the corner on them. The elite want you to be powerless. And yet, what I keep saying is go out there and meet your local sheriffs. Go out there and make your local elections. We're going to bring on some people that have done some change in their own communities. We're setting up a couple of interviews on this. Ways that you can do it. Blueprints that you can actually go out there. And most importantly, you need to go out there and meet your neighbors. You need to meet the people around you. You need to make friends who also do not have significant power and band together because there are not very many of these people. We know the names of a lot of these people and the ones that we don't know, there's not that many. They're not numerous. And by doing so, you're going to be able to have potentially what we used to know in this country, which was that the underdog is supposed to win. The people that do right are supposed to win. There is an American spirit about that. And I'm going to share with you a clip from a movie. As I was thinking about the scam and the fact that it's not working, when you turn the scam on the scammers, it's a really great moment. Some of you guys may remember this movie from uh, the 1980s. It was called Trading Places. And for whatever reason, when I was thinking about the con job that doesn't work, when the New York Times puts out their piece and they've told you to listen to it and it does not work, it fails, you get a moment like this. The cold winter has apparently not affected the orange harvest. Oh! 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 Oh!
back in there at once and sell, sell. But I, I, I just, I. Happy New Year! Winter. Valentine. Hey, how'd you make out today? How could you do this to us after everything we've done for you? Oh, see, I made Lewis a bet here. Lewis bet me that we couldn't both get rich and put you on the poorhouse at the same time. You didn't think we could do it. I won. I lost. One dollar. Thank you, Lewis. After you. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I love Eddie Murphy's laugh. Guys, if you don't remember that movie, it's 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 the classic story of of the of the rich elite losing because they get their own game turned against them. And in many ways, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing people not buy the BS. They can't. It's too much. It's too heavy. They've sold it too hard and they failed. They tipped their hand and people know about it. That's the upside. It's the only advantage that happened. I keep saying it in, in, in every venue I've gone in. In 2020 and 2021, the goalposts got moved while everybody was watching. And they went, I see you moving that. That is not fair. That is fundamentally wrong. And then they had to go and double down on it and try to compliance purge everybody. Think about the number of airline pilots that got kicked out for not getting a vaccine shot. The number of people in the healthcare industry that got kicked out. They undermined all of the, cons the, all the uh, institutions that they've been using forever to control people. That's the matrix dropping away from their eyes. That's what happens when people turn around. So those of you who didn't watch that, there was a the scene, basically it's a stock market scene and uh, the, the movie is all about financial trading and how they manipulate arbitrage and they go after and, uh, and and basically take money from the small guy. They take a guy who's homeless, they show that he could be you know clever and whatever else and they, and they con him. And, uh, and these two rich guys who are kind of like the evil old white men in suits uh, are screw him over for a dollar. It was a personal bet that they made. And so they they go out there, they basically take his life, they give him something and they take somebody else's life and destroy the guy. And then the two of them team up, the two people that got destroyed by the rich people that are pulling it from behind. And they go and they, and they both take him down because they're smarter, uh, because they're hungrier, because that's sort of the American dream. I don't know that that's feasible, but I do know that we can sit there and band together with our neighbors. That's the real message to me. You find people that are supposed to be your enemy, but they're not your enemy. Your enemy is not your neighbor. It really isn't. Even if they don't agree with you politically, that's still a human being. Go make the connection and realize who's turning you against them. It's the, it's the same as yesterday. We talked about the laser pointer. It is the same as the smart, smart people that are running the smart, stupid people that are putting this stuff out there. I am, I am significantly borrowing from our friend uh, Dan Bongino, but having had him explain this to me multiple times, both in person and on the radio and so on, it's it's worth noting that there is a cleverness to that, that the uh, the stupid, smart people are useful idiots and the smart, stupid people are also useful idiots. And the smart, smart people, the Hillary Clinton types that are out there trying to run this game, the ones that are putting out all these pieces, they are actually an enemy. I don't think Donald Trump was wrong when he said the American press right now is the, is the enemy of the people because they're the enemy of honesty. And the American people fundamentally want fairness and honesty and anybody, if you got them down, even though they get real hot on social media and other BS, you put them in person, they're not going to say that stuff to your face. They're still human beings. Don't let 
online everything, all, all these connections that are dehumanizing. Don't let that work. You got to go out there and make human connections. That's why going to church is important. That's why going to family groups, going to Boy Scouts with people that don't agree with you. Go find them, engage them, and try to love them. I think you can. It is, in fact, the message that goes out there on some of this some of this Christian imagery. It It's always one. It always has. It's far stronger than the sort of evil. And here's, here's an example of it. I'm going to bring this thing up. Let me pull this up. There's the example from Forbes. Nearly two-thirds of Americans think that January 6th attack was planned. There is a significant amount of people that do not think the narrative that is being pushed is accurate. That's a Quinnipiac University poll. They only went after, obviously, uh, what, 1,524. 64% said they thought the attack was planned. Um, just 30% said they thought it was spontaneous. The proportion drops as you start moving around between um, you know, what sort of political party. But the vast majority of people, they know. The vast majority of people in this country know. They know there's something wrong. They may not know what it is. That's what The Matrix was all about. Go back and rewatch that movie. I think you guys will uh, will see something interesting. I see some calls in the chat for me to interview uh, uh, Jake Chansley, the, the QAnon shaman. I will. In fact, uh, we're in DMs on Twitter, so hopefully he will sign up and for one of our dates. I've given him a, an opportunity to click through a link, and if he does, we'll have him on the show live, or if we can do a tape version. I don't care. I'm happy to talk to interesting people. I probably don't agree with everything he says. I probably don't agree with a lot of things he said. You can go out there and find he put out a video talking about um, – what they, you know, some of the, some of the wool being pulled over their eyes. He does it in the, in the way of uh, talking about a circus and a carnival barker worth your time. Uh, it's on Twitter. You guys can go find that. It's uh, it just go follow his uh, account, which is growing every day until then. Uh, let's call this a day right now until Wednesday, folks, you have been listening to the Kyle Serafin show, which is streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas, America, which is a small town where I go out and meet people who are nice and I have no idea what their political persuasion is. There are a lot of nice people in this country. You can find them yourselves. We do want to thank you for watching the show. We want to thank you for listening. We want to thank the monthly supporters. I think there's 12 or 15 of you that have gone on and signed up. You can actually hit the subscribe button. And I think if you hit, hit it again, it gives you an opportunity to support our channel on Rumble. That'd be fantastic if that's what you want to do. If you are not watching us on Rumble, you can find us on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. That's where we do our live shows. That's where the chat is always bumping. Uh, we are still waiting. I saw a question. We are still waiting on uh, Seraphin Baby number four. Madeline has not entered the world yet. She is still uh, holding holding off for the next couple of days. So when you uh, when you see a couple of things that uh, look like they're pre-taped, it's because I've got a couple in the can. So we're not going to miss the show, but we are going to uh, spend time with Baby when, when she shows up. So coming in. Uh, we're up to nearly 650 reviews. I think we're just about to cross over it. I do want to say thanks to all of you that are leaving the five-star reviews. You can go to the link in the show description on Apple and leave one just like this. This is from Cliffy109. Drain it all. Oh, sorry. That's not the one I had. There it is. Boom. This is actually from a Navy brat. Kyle's on fire. I've been watching since the first episode, and the Kyle Serafin show is one I can't miss. I learn so much every time I listen. I love when Kyle gets fired up, but he keeps it professional. He's a joy to listen to, and I'm so glad I found his show now five days a week. I have something to look forward to in my workday. Well, I really appreciate that you look forward to it. I look forward to talking to you guys in the morning. It is uh, way more fun doing it five days a week. We do really appreciate that. And hopefully we'll have Ryan Matta back to bring it in. I think today was a little bit less flawed than it has previously. So we got those videos done. And I think you guys got to see a little bit of what goes on in my mind all day long. I do appreciate you watching. Folks, don't forget to hit the like as you go out the door. Go down on Rumble. Scroll down. Hit that little thumbs up until it turns green. That's what we're looking for. Uh, follow me and Ryan Matta. He's going to have some wild stuff coming out about the border. That's at Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A Media on Twitter. 
and Ryan Matta on True Social. You can follow me at Kyle Serafin everywhere you might do it and consider subscribing if you're listening to the audio podcast if you're just catching that now. Folks, we will see you on Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, True Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.